think of an elderly neighbor or someone who's a bit lonely and go do something for them. Have a cup of tea with them. Maybe take three cookies that, and say, look, I've only got 15 minutes and have a cup of tea with them. Or maybe go and dig in their garden or do something yeah. for somebody else and it'll give you free happiness. Hi, my name is Rongan Chatterjee, GP, television presenter and author of the best-selling books, The Stress Solution and The Four Pillar Plan. I believe that all of us have the ability to feel better than we currently do, but getting healthy has become far too complicated. With this podcast, I aim to simplify it. I'm going to be having conversations with some of the most interesting and exciting people both within as well as outside the health space to hopefully inspire you as well as empower you with simple tips that you can put into practice immediately to transform the way that you feel. I believe that when we are healthier, we are happier because when we feel better, we live more. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of my Feel Better, Live More podcast. My name is Rongan Chatterjee and I am your host. In today's show, we talk about time and how we are spending it. Time is the most precious commodity that we have, yet despite all the advances in technology, most of us are more time poor than ever before. Today's guest is the cultural commentator and best-selling author, James Warman, who believes that few of us really understand which experiences bring us joy and success and which experiences don't. In fact, for many of us, free time can be harder to enjoy than time at work. James argues that just as we have learned to spot the differences between junk foods and superfoods, we need to learn the equivalent rules for time. He has drawn on research from psychology, economics, as well as culture to create a seven-point checklist that he believes will help you avoid empty experiences and fill your free hours with exciting, enriching ones instead. We discuss the importance of putting ourselves in challenging or unusual situations, having fulfilling relationships, achieving a state of flow, and being in nature. James also talks about the importance of having status and significance for happiness and explains how we can all attain this in our busy lives. Finally, James gives his top tips for leading a happy and fulfilling life. This is a really lively conversation and James is bursting with anecdotes. I hope you enjoy listening. Now, before we get started, I do need to give a very quick shout out to our sponsors, who are essential in order for me to be able to put out weekly podcast episodes like this one. Athletic Greens continue their long-term support of my podcast. Athletic Greens is one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I have come across and is full of vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, and digestive enzymes. Now, I prefer that people get all of their nutrition from food, but for some of us, this is not always possible. This week, for example, I have been super busy and rushing around, and taking Athletic Greens has made a huge difference to my energy levels and mood. So if you're looking to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of this podcast, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will be able to access a special offer where you get a free travel pack box containing 20 servings of Athletic Greens which is worth around £70 with your first order. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. Now, on to today's conversation. So James, welcome to the Feel Better Live More podcast. Thank you. 
James, huge fan of your book, uh, Time and How to Spend It. And I guess the obvious place to start for me is, you know, why do we need a book telling us how we should spend our own time? There's a whole bunch of reasons why today people struggle with getting the most out of their time. One of them is our telephones, uh, but there's a whole bunch of other reasons why we feel time poor, we feel a time crunch. And I think, um, I think we struggle to get the most out of our time. And also, um, one of the key reasons why I think there's relevance in this book is that we learn how to be productive with our lives. So we learn the skills of production. That's what we go to school to do. And people go and do marketing degrees and communications degrees and they want an MBA. But no one takes you aside at school and says, this is what you should do with your free time. We all think it's really obvious. And if you look at um, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's Mihai's work, the Hungarian-American yeah. uh, psychologist, there's a lovely line in his book, Flow, from the early 90s, where he says, and this is from like more than 100,000 pieces of data from people around the world. Um, free time is harder to enjoy than time at work. People think that um, we know how to have a good time. You know, you, you look forward to a Friday night when you can have a few drinks or you can sit in front of the TV. We look forward to a holiday where you can um, sit on a sun lounger and do nothing. We think, ah, that's when we're going to be happy. When, we're, when the work is done and the stress is over and we're there, we've arrived. We think that happiness is some kind of destination. But the problem is sitting not doing very much is really bad for us because your mind kind of wanders yeah. and what we the times when we're happiest this is from flow for example the times when we're happiest is when we're like intensely in the moment let's say you're doing a podcast with somebody who's like super famous and on tv and you're saying stuff this is me now and you're thinking <laughs> am i just talking am i no you're the one on tv um you know, am I just sort of talking nonsense or am I getting to something? And the, the opportunity to fail means that you're in the moment and you're kind of like um, doing what you can to do your best. And that actually, when you kind of check in, that's when people are happiest. So I think that we tend to mistake when we think we're going to be happy, happiest. And we've got a load of pressures on our life that means that we're not getting the most out of our time. So this book does have a relevance for people today. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think... I think your book has really hit on something um, of this stage in the 21st century where we're living, where uh, we do feel time poor. And I feel that the time that we do have off, often we're just frittering away, whether it's just, you know, spending three hours just mindlessly surfing the web or whatever it is. And it's a theme that comes up quite a lot on this podcast. I had a guy on recently called Cal Newport. Yeah, who, um, deep work. Yeah, and, and he's got a newer Digital book. Digital minimalism. Sorry, yeah. no, 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 <laughs> no. Listening, just that, yeah, I know no, that guy. Yeah, but yeah, Cal's Cal's great, and he um, he talks about this idea of we need to be focusing on high quality leisure activities, and and that that kept ringing through my mind as I was going through your book. It's not dissimilar in terms of, you know, time is a precious commodity that we have that we're sort of many of us are just wasting away. Um, and you've got so many great tips in the book on how we can better spend our time. So, you know, I guess it'd be quite good to start off, you know, people listening to this and thinking, well, okay, yes, James has written a book on how I can better spend my time. What are some of those things that I can be doing? Would you mind if I picked up what you just said just then? Sorry, I know that you want me to answer the question. But Not at all. Do you remember going to the video store when you, when you were a kid? 
you remember that thing? Blockbuster. Yeah, exactly, Blockbuster. I remember going to like the local ones before there was Blockbuster, really. And you know how you'd go in there and there's always been loads of movies you'd want to see, but you get into Blockbuster and you just spent ages in there looking for movies and you could never find a movie that you wanted to actually watch. It's like what I do sometimes on Saturdays when I'm trying to watch something on Netflix, actually. I spend like an hour and a half looking and then I said, I say to someone, we're going to be in bed late now if we watch this. It's too late now to start. Yeah. the thing is about digital, it's it's like that hour in the uh, video store, but there's so much more possibility of it. Yeah. So exactly with Netflix, but we also got it on the internet. So we're always looking for something that may be interesting and worth spending our time on. And the problem is with this kind of, you know, massive... Um, you know, menu, if you like, but this huge opportunity of things that we could do, it becomes ever harder to find. I love that idea of the, you know, quality leisure time, quality time. Um, so to answer your question about some tips, um, probably the simplest thing is to think about the checklist in the book as, yeah. as a kind of way. And the checklist being stories, S-T-O-R-I-E-S. And, I, and I'm sure you've got this, but I guess for the listeners, yeah, I yeah, go explain through it, please. none of the ideas are mine. They're all stolen from people much cleverer than me. Uh, I talked to anthropologists and sociologists and psychologists and economists and historians, etc. I read their science papers and I stole their ideas and pulled them into something that's, you know, something that works for people, something you can remember. Because the problem with knowledge is not that there is knowledge out there of what we should do with our time. The problem is actioning it on a Saturday morning or a Friday night or, you well, know. Yeah, James, and I think you've, there's another theme to that there, which is that this era in which we're living in means there is always something else we could read. There's always something else we could watch. There's always more information. There's, you think you've got your head sorted about what you want to do and then you go on Twitter and you see another article and go, oh, you know, maybe I should be doing that. So I think there's incredible value in terms of what you've done, which is, you know, learning from oh, this great body of research and sort of pu- pulling it all together in a very actionable form for people. I think it's an incredible value. Thank you. Um, it's, um, the story sounds... It's funny, I remember, you know, talking to people about this, trying to come up with a checklist. So you've read Atul Gawande's work, I'm sure. Yeah. You're, you're kind of, you the kind of British Atul Gawande? I, w- I wouldn't go that far huh? at all, no. He's a physician <laughs> and a great author. You're a physician and a great author. I certainly he's would not, not compare myself. He's not him. on TV though, is he? You got one up on him. You're winning. I like that, no? I don't even watch much telly. That's the irony of this. I will come to telly because yeah. telly is something that you talk about quite a bit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, well, uh, you know, it's a bit like it's a bit like mobile phones. Mobile phones, TV, lots of things. You know, a bit like alcohol. Use is fine. Abuse is really bad. So a little bit of it is great. You know, um, watching TV. I love The Office, the US Office. I like watching Ricky Gervais do yeah. comedy stuff. Um, but too much is bad. Um, so stories is, um, the first S is story. Uh, then it's transformation, outside and offline. Uh, the R is relationships. I is intensity. E is extraordinary. And the S is for status and significance. And all of those sound super simple, obviously, and I hope they should do. Hopefully the, the story's idea is memorable enough for somebody to action and use. Um, but there's science underneath each each one of them. So the story is really simply put, although I'd love to go into it in more detail if we have the time, is um, the magic of story is when you tell a story, it connects you with someone else. It sets off um, a domino line um, that leads to happiness pretty directly. So the way that this works is if I was to tell you a story about the time I was um, cycling on my bicycle through London and another cyclist came up alongside me and bumped into me and knocked me and I fell onto some grass. The thing is, as I tell you that story, you're picturing it. And that's something called mirror neurons, which which was discovered, I think, like within the last 10 years or so, 
maybe a little bit longer. Um, and mirror neurons is, is the basic idea that when one person tells a story, the other person's neurons in their brain fire up as well. So basically our brains are working in the same in sync, which is a, I guess, a physical manifestation of empathy because it creates some, you know, we are thinking along the same lines yeah. and that creates a connection. Connection is relationships, relationships is happiness. So when you start by doing something, doing anything, if you, you know, go climb a tree, if you go for a walk with a friend or if you actually the best story is the ones where something goes wrong if you go camping and your tent blows down or you try to get a job and you um it doesn't work out or you go on a date it's probably some years since you've been on a date but you know if you you know those friends of ours that you know go on dates the magic of a bad date is a bad date turns into a story a story when you tell it fires up the person listening's mirror neurons that creates empathy that creates connection that creates relationships so the magic of any kind of story is it creates relationships and that's happiness there's so much coming in my head as you said that. Um, you know, we're joking a little bit about the sort of telly work that I've done in the past. Yeah. And what's interesting is that a few years ago when I'd never done any television, I remember the producers saying to me, there has to be a hero's journey in everything that comes out. So yeah. that's kind of what you're saying is that there, or there has to be that that story when they're editing. It. There has to be that failure in the middle that you then overcome. Yeah. Um, and there's a book out at the moment, I don't know if you've read it or not, by Will Storr, The Art and Science. I think it's called The Science of Storytelling. And again, it's about how, you know, how um, how sort of ingrained storytelling is to us as humans and how important it is. And so when you talk about storytelling and stories, let's say, how does that equate to people better spending any time off that they've got? It's a great question. I don't know that book, so thank you. I read a whole bunch of books on you know, story. Um, in terms of how you think about your time off, the difference that it makes is if you know that story leads to happiness, then in your experiences, in what you do with your weekend and what you do with your holiday and what you do with your Thursday night, you should think about the story that it might give you. And what's, I love the fact you brought up the hero's journey here because most of us think that what we want from our time off, because we work hard and we deserve it, thank you very much, we want this kind of relaxing time where everything works. But if you look at the hero's journey and the structure, the kind of man in whole person problem solution kind of, you know, three-step arc, if you like, um, no decent story happens where everything works out. You know, think about Cinderella. There's no If Cinderella had been living with her mum and dad... And um, she met a prince and got married. It's just not a story. But her mum dying, her horrible stepmother moving in, her evil stepsisters coming in and making her life terrible, and then her kind of hauling her out of this and that that, um, magical woman. Uh, fairy godmother yeah you know she gave gave her the opportunity and she meets the the prince and she goes to the ball and then she has to come away because you know it's midnight and then uh, jeopardy is she going to get the guy or not and eventually you know he goes around with the glass slipper and he finds her and they're all happily ever after that's only a story because things went wrong so what that means in terms of um you know the takeout for a person in terms of what they should do with their time is instead of just always aiming for sort of the perfect weekend or the perfect holiday when stuff goes wrong, that's your opportunity to have a story. So the thing is, if you think about the importance of story in terms of it leading to relationships and therefore happiness, if you come back from your holiday and someone says to you, how was your holiday? And you say, ah, oh, it's, yeah, it's really nice. We went to this villa. We hung out. We had barbecues. We swam in the pool. It was nice. 
That's a rubbish story. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you go on that holiday and let's say you've got that set up, you've earned, you know, you've earned your your holiday, so you're going to do the, go do this thing. Um, but if you're aware of the fact of the importance of story, you won't just sit by the pool and have a nice time and have a barbecue. I'm not saying you necessarily will, um, you know. You know, smash the windows or something. Yeah, or have but the high car nicks or something. Which yeah, again, well, which high... is a great story. Well, getting lost is a great story. Yeah, or, yeah. But, but maybe what you'll do is you'll go out and you'll seek out some kind of adventure and you'll be aware of the fact, especially if you were to buy the book and read it and you were to look at the structure of the hero's journey and you were to understand the importance of um, tests and allies and enemies and saying yes to adventure. You'd think to yourself, okay, fine. So we should do something while we're away. This is on a weekend, this is on a Tuesday night, whatever. We should do something. We say yes to some kind of adventure. And then we should accept the fact that it's going to have some challenges in there. There'll be some tests. There'll be some allies. There'll be friends on our side. And there'll be enemies too. There'll be people who will deliberately, you know, like the annoying boss that you may or may not have had, or maybe a director <laughs> you've worked with, or some, yeah. I don't know. There's people who you just think, or maybe when you've been on TV, you've had people who just say weird stuff to you when you're doing live tv and you think they're trying to stop you they're giving you an opportunity to grow and to be the hero of your story which will give you a better story to tell other people and therefore as you tell that story it will fire their mirror mirror neurons better story better connection better relationships more happiness does that make sense I don't yeah know I... no it does make sense so I'm, I'm just trying to think does that mean in some ways you know have, have our lives become a little bit too safe, a little bit too predictable, a little bit too... So this is what I do at the weekend. You know, I go and I, I, I run on the treadmill for 30 minutes, you know, on that flat, predictable surface. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be running, let's say, but for example, running out on a trail or in the local, you know, park or whatever where you know you're going to have a few obstacles or there might be a dog that you have to coming up to to avoid i don't know it's not quite the same thing as hero's journey i don't know i'm just trying to draw it into something practical is that a way of creating a little bit of a story for someone like they want to go running right so they enjoy running but doing it on a treadmill in a very sterile environment is going to have a very different experience than doing it out and about, right? Yeah, yeah. I really like the way you're taking this. Thank you. It's really... It's, it's I'm just thinking on the spot. I don't, well, no, I no, don't... But, but how do you take this idea and actually apply it in your life? And your idea is a good one, actually, especially being outside and offline and going running in the woods as opposed to just running on a treadmill is going to be really good for you. But you're right. I think this is... It's not so much about designing every last part no. of your life. It's accepting that serendipity uh, and spontaneity is a key part of things. But maybe it's putting yourself in a situation where something might happen doesn't necessarily happen doesn't happen every time but putting yourself in a situation where there's a line i use in the book instead of um head for the holes think about the man in whole journey so the person problem solution the idea that we need the test and the trial is aim for um or put yourself in a situation where something might happen so yeah going on a trail run you could bump into an old friend you may or may not I don't know but you could bump into some people which is always a good thing too because you'll be communicating with people you might get lost you might get lost and lost is great because lost well as long as you come back alive that's (laughs) that's an ideal situation but lost is a great situation because it's automatically going to be a story you're going to have a challenge because you don't know where you're going especially if you get lost without your telephone because then you actually have to ask people and you, you know, you actually rather than just like, oh yeah, okay, fine. And you, you know, follow the way back. Yeah. And I guess telephones 
well, we call them telephones. They're, they're not really telephones anymore, are they? They're, they're, in fact, talking on them is probably one of the least things that we do on them. You know, right. our, our smartphones, they're sort yeah. of computers, like mega yeah. computers in our pocket. In so many ways, they've sort of, you know, the convenience that they've afforded us has actually taken away some of this uncertainty. So, you know, you're on a run with your phone, you always know where you are with the GPS, right? So in theory, anyway. And so that idea that you could get lost is, is you know, technology, I think, has started to erode those things slightly out of our lives, that uncertainty, because we can get access to everything. We don't have to imagine because we can just find out, you know, I, I don't know, there's something in that, isn't there, yeah. where society has ch- has changed so dramatically in the last five or 10 years, that these experiences that, you know, that, that probably the experiences that we need to go through to, to, to you know, that, that, that is inherently human, those for some of us have just sort of been eroded out of society. And then you write about Tough Mudder in the book. Um, and I guess, is that why we're starting to crave things like Tough Mudder and, and these sort of uncomfortable, challenging experiences that we're trying to put that back in to something that we've lost? Yes. Um, there's a great book called What Doesn't Kill Us by a guy called Scott something, American guy. Um, really nice book. And I met him. Um, he's a friend of Scott Keneally's who's in the book, who is um, the guy who made that movie Rise of the Sufferfest. And his um, exploration in that movie was why do people want to do this thing? And um, I remember when I met him and he said, look, do you want to come up and do this tough um, tough guy thing? The original one up in Wolverhampton. And I went up there on a Sunday and I just um, – I mean, it was cold. There were people, you know, just basically jumping into icy water and I was wearing a you know, big puffer jacket. Um, I think that what modern life has done has taken away so many of the things that have made us who we are and the things that have given us. This, this guy, Scott, in this book, What Doesn't Kill Us, his theory is that, you know, we're mollycoddled, we have central heating, um, and it's really not good for our, our physical well, our physiological well-being either. The fact that we never get cold anymore. Yeah. He thinks we should do that. We should get hungry as well. You know, we're always kind of, you know, fat and well-fed. And if you think about what life was like till 1750 or maybe even the 20th century, for 99% of humans, the big problem for most humans since we became homo sapiens, what, 400 odd thousand years ago or whatever – was how do you get enough food to feed the family to to, yeah. to you know to make things work right? And all of a sudden we live in this world where we have central heating. We've got too many pairs of shoes. My kids can say in the morning, "I don't want that cereal. I want the other cereal." Yeah, you can choose. Yeah, exactly. Choice, uh, and you don't have to finish everything in your bowl. We try and make them do that, but you know, um, yeah, I think the people, you know, the reason people want to do tough mud and they want to do uh, extreme sports, and uh, you know, think about the idea of a treadmill for a moment. Imagine trying to sell that to somebody 150 years ago. Okay, they'd be like, what? So you run on the spot? Why would you do do that? that? It doesn't make any sense. But we live these sedentary lies where we just press buttons for a living. And I think we need something else. I think that's why I'm into um, bouldering, uh, you know, on a kind of climbing wall. Um, It was opening my house recently. And I pop out there probably four times a week because – it really scares me, you know, even when I'm about a foot off the floor, which is embarrassing, but true. Um, it's frightening and I could fall and I'm in the moment as opposed to when I'm sat uh, and I work from home. So I work and I work kind of locally in, in cafes, you know, Wi-Fi places. Um, you know, I sit there and people bring me tea or I'm sat in my kitchen and it's it's all very pleasant. And, 
you know, if I press that email and I've sent it too soon, oh, that might be a bit awkward. But it's not very awkward. Nothing's really going to happen. There is something about what you're saying about a little bit of fear, a little bit that things could go wrong. That really has has been removed from so many of our lives. Um, everything's safer. That's a good thing, right? It, it, in general, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. it, it is a good thing for society. But, you know, maybe it's come at a cost for us in terms of our happiness, the way we feel about ourselves. It's just too sterile and... Uh, you know, it's it's, it's, it's dull, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think so. And and I think your example of bouldering is a great one because people who are listening to this might be thinking, okay, that's great, but how do I get a bit more fear and excitement into my leisure time, let's say? And, you know, you're not necessarily saying go skydiving, although I'm sure you wouldn't be averse to people going skydiving. You're saying, well, I go bouldering three to four times a week, indoor climbing, to give you that sense of um, adventure. And, you know, as we said just off air before we started recording, I, in, in my last book, The Stress Solution, I spoke about how my wife, um, she was, I, I sort of told the story about how, you know, she would sometimes get quite stressed and quite anxious. And Is so, that living with you? Is that what caused Well, it? that would do that, to yeah. be fair. That would do that <laughs> to anyone. Uh, but indoor climbing... She'll be loving that when she hears that. She'll be absolutely <laughs> loving that. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, but I think indoor climbing has, you know, it's changed her life. Um, she loves it. She loves the challenge. But she also says, when I'm up there on the wall, I switch off from all the troubles in life, all the stresses of day-to-day life, because I've got to be focused on where, you know, where, where my next position is going to be. And I guess that's not quite the same thing as fear. But it, but it sort of is, isn't it? Because you, you're scared you're going to fall so you, the, the fear forces you to be in the moment. Maybe that's it. No, no, totally. And it's, I want to think about what you said before about, you know, it might be skydiving for one person, but that may not suit someone else. If you look at, um, again, Mihai Cheek sent me Hai's work. He's got the challenge and skill kind of, um, he's, he's got a graph that shows the difference between the two. And the magic for flow is finding the right combination between challenge against skill that suits you. Yeah. So let's say you're playing tennis against a friend and your friend is like, rubbish i don't know if you've ever done that or played squash or played sport against someone who's not very good it's no fun is it because you know basically your skill is way too high for the challenge but then there's that other time where you play a friend who's so good they you know they serve and you just it just goes straight past you yeah there's no fun there either because you it's it's, you need the sweet spot don't you exactly and and he talks about it i think calls it um the flow channel or something where you got the right mix between challenge which could which could be you know for some people jumping out of a plane is exactly the kind of um challenge that suits them to get into flow for someone else they might think wow that is way too much for your wife it clearly works for bouldering and it's really for for indoor climbing so how does something like parkrun for example parkrun is a activity that people will do at the weekends and is exploding in popularity that started off as a i think 13 men in london having a run i think in 2004 i could be something wrong in a park i hope yeah in in a park park, that's the name and then it's now exploded to millions around the world are doing it weekly which is just incredible so what is it possible to run park run through your checklist and see how many of those criteria it meets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things, the way the stories checklist can work for people is you can think of previous experiences you've had, run it through the checklist so you start to understand how, how, how it works. Because then you think about future experiences and if they're missing out on a, on a past element, you could bring it in. So let's, so with park run, so, so 
does it give you a story? Um, I mean, it's a simple story. It's, you know, I got up on a Saturday and I went for a run. It's probably not the most complex story there is. Um, but, there is one, but there is a story there, I think. One of the things about running, actually, is you hit the wall. And, w- and when I do running, I kind of hit the wall after about 50 metres. I hit my first kind of, oh, can I stop now? But the story you know, could so be, I, I mean, I do it every Saturday with my son. Okay. And, How old you know, is he? He is eight okay. at the moment. And he, like... I don't know, just trying to think about stories. We can be quite creative, can't we? Because sometimes, let's say, something's hurting, we doesn't want to do it, and he gets to a point, and there's a volunteer that says, come on, you're going to beat your dad today. And that sort of gives him um, a little spark, you know, a little yeah. spring in his step. Yeah. Oh, you know, I could, I could beat daddy today. That, that is kind of a story, isn't it? You're right, and it's certainly a better story than staying at home watching TV. Yeah. It definitely gives you a story. Or, or so what did just you do going on the treadmill. You did it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a yeah, better story than that. Yeah, because you'll be in a park and you'll interact with other people. Yeah. And if you look at the hero's journey, the importance of the, the tests and the allies and the enemies and the example you've just given is a really great example of an ally of someone saying, hey, go for it. You know, you can do this. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the enemy is that voice inside that says, I'll take it easy. Yeah. You don't need to go running. Yeah. Um, and the, the, it is a test in itself, actually. Doing it's five k, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's you know it's five k. It's a, especially for an eight year old. Yeah, it's a he's test. doing well. So what else is in the checklist that we can go okay. through with with respect to park run? Well, let's run through the whole thing. So yeah. sto- you know there is a story to it, and I think you're absolutely right. There is a hero's journey, and that there is a challenge, and you get over that challenge. Transformation is. Um, at its sim- at its simplest, it, it kind of takes the idea of the, the four or five most robust uh, frameworks for happiness like self-determination theory which all have the idea of autonomy and um and change and growth and development in, in them so it's the idea of being who you really feel you sh- you are and growing into the person you feel like you could become and so the magic of of going on a park run is for a start there's um you know, there's transformation that you're not just at home, you're not just at work, you're not just doing the thing, you're not just at school, you're doing yeah. something different, you're in a different place. In, in the book, I've got this idea of the three degrees of transformation. I know, it's a brilliant, ch- uh, I love that chapter on transformation, it's really, oh, really you. great. But it also, you know, if you think about that park run, it's very much something different to what you'd normally be doing. And the fact that you're spending a bit, we'll come to the R for relationships, yeah. but you know, the opportunity for you and your son to do something together is wonderful because you're building... You, you know, you're building a relationship with him. And if you then think about the O, the outside and offline, and where running came from originally, and the guy who discovered it, he partly discovered it. I think, I think all of us, when we go and, um, you know, come up with something in our, in our lives, some, it sometimes harks back to who we are. And if you think about, um, I'm trying to think of his name now, the chap who discovered running. The guy who was running. Um, in, who, Jerry Morris. When you say discovered running, the, the health benefits of running. Exactly. Yeah, because you, you, I didn't know that story. It was great. Huh. And now he's running in London at the weekends yeah, yeah. and he was, he, was, he was putting together the research on yeah. how running is good for us or, yeah. oh, or exercise of, of sorts. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the hunch for that partly came from the fact when he was a boy in Glasgow, his dad used to make them walk, I think it was um, a mile or two miles or something. And if they achieved it, in a particular time, he'd get a, he'd get an ice cream, right. and if they were slow in that time, he'd just get a choc ice. And I got the impression that the ice cream was better. So you know, he had this memory of him and his dad doing this thing. So when he when he came across, and this was in the late forties, this problem of more men getting cardiovascular problems and you know heart attacks and dying, he kind of had this hunch that it might be to do with the fact that because it was on the buses, he, he noticed yeah. that the bus drivers were dying, uh, this was the research, twice as often as the conductors. Um, and, and this is something that, just just for people who've not read the book yet, just to, you know, you made the case so beautifully that this is something that we 
take as gospel now that being yeah, physically yeah, yeah, active yeah. is good for us. But we didn't always know that. We didn't always have the research to back it up. But it's amazing how quickly society changes and what we something we don't know, we, we now regard as fact. Yeah. Um, I, I found that super interesting, actually. Well, that's one of the things I think that stories should help nudge people to have, make better decisions. Once you know there's, there's science behind a, a decision, this is going to nudge people to make the better decision. Yeah. And in this, you mentioned there about the, the um, jogging. It was in, um, if you look at stats for, for smoking in the US, for example, up till 1962, the numbers of people smoking went up and up and up and up. Then 1962, the US Surgeon General says, you know, something that I think people probably intuitively knew, because if you smoke, you get a smoker's cough, right? And you're yeah. breathing in smoke. I mean, you, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But in 1962, the US Surgeon General says, smoking is bad for people, you know, and all of a sudden it goes down and down and down and down and down. And so having that science, as you say, once we know that, um, that jogging is actually really good for people and, you know, impact stuff that gets your heart really going, more people go do it. And so we're now seeing this incredible increase in people yeah. doing it. So, yeah, so the transformation is doing something different to what you normally do. But it's also, if you think about, you know, running 5K, it's becoming something. It's beca- A, you're becoming because you're becoming fitter. It's also the potential of who you who you have the possibility to be. So go, going now from S and T now to the O and the, the two O's of the yeah. stories yeah you see how i cheated there, I, I like it there's a friend you gotta of mine. do it with mnemonics there, there's a friend of mine who's <laughs> like so it's not really stories is it it's stories <laughs> anyway the o section of the book about outside and offline biophilia is really yeah. a thing so when you see um and there's weird data that people looking at trees are happier than people looking at buildings not yeah. weird data but data that confirms what we sort of feel in- intuitively and i love it when there's so much science now supporting what we sort of intuitively yeah, know which sure, is great sure, yeah you know because yeah. we all know we feel better in nature yeah we all know that yeah. and you you like i did actually in my last book talks talk, about forest bathing and okay, okay. the science behind it yeah um but there's also this thing that i've explored before about fractals in nature okay do you know fractals yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You know, there's geometric shapes yeah. that you only get i sketch raves in the 90s so <laughs> yeah, you know, i know what fractals are <laughs> but simply when we look at fractals the levels of the stress hormone cortisol go down in our body so you know just simply being in nature will lower your stress levels and uh, what I find remarkable is I think the University of Brighton did this is no, being in nature lowers your cortisol levels. Brilliant. Even if you can't go into nature, even just Seeing looking at nature, yeah, yeah, yeah. you think this is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's incre- yeah. We've got science to support what we sort of already know. Yeah. I've got the kids to start watching the David Attenborough show. Yeah. More, so because we're watching some nature, but, but you know, there are, knowing that stuff makes me go to our park more. But, the, you know, if you're doing a park run, you are by definition outside. You're in a park, which, as we talked about, the biofilm, it's really good for you. You're offline. Um, but, James, look, there, there is so much in there. There are so many practical examples of what people can do uh, to, you know, to, to make more, I wouldn't say efficient use of their time, more productive use of their time, to use their time in a way that's going to make them happier. It's a, if you think about food, okay, yeah. so if you think about, you know, um, there's loads of food that you could eat, but we all know there are some foods which are, empty calories, um, you know, some fast food, um, sugar products. You know, there's the data that comes out that shows that, you know, that too much sugar is not very good for us. But we also know there are like superfoods and whether superfood is a bit of a marketing term, but we also know there are certain foods like blueberries, like broccoli, like kale, yeah. like, you know, vegetables, 
you know, this stuff will give you good skin. They'll um, give you good energy. They'll they'll probably lower your stress rather than increase your stress versus sugar. Um, I'm sure you know much more about this than I do. But, you know, basically, no, no, it's a good analogy. There are empty calories and there are superfoods. And in exactly the same way, there are empty experiences. And I think there are superfood experiences as well. And the stories checklist is intended to nudge people to have fewer of the empty experiences and far more of the superfood experiences. And the park run, should we continue the analysis? Yeah, why, why don't we, before we <laughs> end the podcast, back, like, let's, come let's go and actually yeah, finish okay. that. So um, outside and offline, we got we got that. And just to throw in there, that, that one of the, the great things about going for a run with your son with the, with the phone left in the car is that you're just there. Yeah. You're in the moment. You, and the, the problem with device, do you charge your phone in the bedroom? No. Absolutely not. Congrats. Okay, fine. I um, also agree. I think there is, we haven't gone to the 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 sort of things we we mutually agree on. But I saw one of your tweets a few days ago, which is, I was so happy to see. You know, you, you were saying no notifications, don't yeah. charge your phone. I was like, yeah, these are the things. Yeah, okay. I'm absolutely behind. One hundred percent. Have you? Do you ever met a guy called Bruce Daisley? No, he's VP at Twitter. He's got this thing about doing new stuff for work, and he says similar kind of things. Interestingly, it's kind of a thing around really. It. Um, but I imagine some of your listeners charge. I'm going to mention this because some of your listeners probably uh, charge their phones in their uh, no bedroom. No doubt. And um, the thing is, if you charge your phone in the bedroom, you won't sleep as well, and you'll have less sex. And there's data backing that up. Both of those statements, which I love, because the thing is, you know, if you've got your telephone in your bedroom, that's the device that your boss contacts you on it's the it's the you know it's the one that you get messages about school or, wh- or whatever right or find out about football next week or whatever or you know you, people try and sell you stuff there and you're taking that all into the bedroom with you but if you have that somewhere else then you can actually switch off and be just you and your partner in the bedroom um and a lot of people say but i use it as my as alarm clock and I just mentioned this because Buy alarm, alarm clocks are quite cheap. <laughs> They're really not that expensive. I've got a five quid one at home. Right, yeah, exactly. You can get them for about five pounds. Or if you spend £10, you can get a stylish one. Yeah, there you yeah, go. You know, anyway, I just mentioned that. So, um, okay, going back to the park run. So we've got the ST and we've got the O. And then the R is about relationships. And particularly in your case, you're going with your son. So you're building something that you do with him. He'll remember that. You'll remember that. It'll, you know, yeah. leave you with so a happy memory. I want to have that my week, genuinely. Nice. But there's all those other people. Yeah. So you might recognize some of them. But also one of the reasons why experience are better material goods is they connect us to other people in a way that material goods just don't. So the fact that you're going running at the park run, you might see people you recognize or people you don't but you're all like you're all in this together so it gives us a feeling of belonging um and there's this data from harvard um i think possibly one of the longest studies ever conducted but been running since 1939 that shows very clearly um that the best indicator of a long happy healthy life is not how much you smoke or how much exercise you get or what you eat it's having relationships so putting your focus into relationships in some ways is is great for happiness and well-being and, and longevity. Um, the eyes for intensity. Okay, so there are two, there are only two um, checklists in the book. It's the stories <laughs> checklist and the dark funk checklist. In the chapter intensity, so there's the checklist dark funk, D A R G F U N C, and that is all about how to design a flow experience. D is for delete distractions, and the thing is, if you're running and you've got, you know, adrenaline running through your system. Um, maybe you've taken your phone with you. You should probably leave that at home. You're probably not thinking about your deadline because after a while, you're just in the zone. I mean, that first bit, maybe you are, and maybe those thoughts come, but the magic of running is a bit like, you know, really well done meditation. But I think it's the same kind of idea. You're going to be, so flow is, 
D is delete distractions. A is being active physically, mentally, emotionally, etc. R is for risk because you might fail to finish your run. You might go so far. You know that thought sometimes when you're yeah. running, you think, what if I've run out of energy? Can I get a taxi home? <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? G and F of goals and feedback. So the thing is about running, you know you're getting somewhere. And you can feel that. Do you see what I mean? You've set yourself a run around the park once or whatever. You've got a goal that you want to achieve or you want to get there and then go home again. Um, and then the final bit is the UNC, which is um, unusual, new and complex. Even if you're, if, especially if you're, if you're running on a treadmill, you know what's there. But if you go for a run in your local park or in local woods or something, you're going to see things that are going to be in some way possibly unusual, possibly new, possibly complex. So if you think about, you know, the machines taking over all sorts of kind of tasks, if not jobs at this moment, but if you think about the future, the future, more tasks will be done by the machines. So how do we stay relevant? How do we be valuable? We need to be creative. If you want to be creative, you want to be happy, you need to get into flow. The way to get into flow is by using this dark funk checklist. And the park run is a great example of that. The uh, E is for extraordinary. And extraordinary is about, um, it's about the moments in life. We, you know, we remember things through snapshots. So if you were to think back to your week, you would forget most of it. You'd probably forget yeah. a large part of the journey to, you know, to get here today. You'd probably forget everything about this conversation with me. But you'd probably remember running with your son, whether it's, yeah. especially actually if it's raining. You'd remember yeah. that, you know, that thing that happened. So designing experiences thinking about stuff that's kind of unusual unusual or different is really important there's more to extraordinary but parkrun can work for that and then the last one is about status and significance and this is the um surreal fact that oscar winners live four years longer than normal actors it's a surreal um, fact it's a surreal fact and it illustrates something i mean whether that's because they won the oscar or not is really up for debate frankly but it illustrates a very simple fact which is that more status means you'll live longer and you'll be happier and healthier. And that's kind of scary because, you know, everyone's happy to talk about exercise. Everyone's happy to say, yeah, exercise makes you uh, live longer. I'm yeah. going to do it. I'm going to get more of this. And, you, you know, your parent or your partner will say, you know, go out for a run, go out and do something. But no one says, you know, no one's, no one's going to come out of listening to this and say, I want more status. It's a really So how can people get say. more status? Well, there's a whole bunch of ways to get, you know, status is evolving, but one way is being fit and healthy, actually. Right. If you think about, if you see people who are kind of slovenly and overweight, compared to someone who's kind of super slim, look at um, Jeff Bezos. If you see pictures of Jeff Bezos from the 90s, he was kind of like kind of geeky, out of shape guy. Look at him now, he's a billionaire. Yeah. He's hot. You know, he's in really, really good shape. Um, I think we get status by being healthy nowadays. I think we get status in a whole bunch of other ways. Um, but so the parkrun would definitely give you a sense, I think, of standing taller. Yeah. You know, being happy with who you are and being, being a well, somebody. It's a feeling of self-worth, isn't it, as well, which I, I guess plays into status, that feeling when you're, you're doing something challenging, you're doing it regularly, yeah. you feel good about yourself, it builds up your self-esteem, which it, it, it must be a huge part of status is how you feel about yourself and your self-worth. Yeah, absolutely. And there's the other element of status and why that chapter is called status and significance is because people are so bloody awkward about the idea of status. And I think we can upgrade... Particularly Brits, I would guess. Do you know, ha- truth be told, it's everywhere you go around the world. I, I've been, you know, in the US and of course they call it status. And they, <laughs> I've had people really become... There was a talk once I gave in New York... And a few of the people were really like, no, 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 you know, status doesn't matter to us. Like, 
It does. In fact, it matters to you more than other places because if you've have you read Status Anxiety by Alan de Botton? No. It's a wonderful explora- exploration of this um, this kind of field. Um, if you live in a society where nobody can change who they are, you live in a kind of very structured feudal society, status doesn't matter. It has no um, you know, pejorative kind of sense to it because you just are where you were born. And that's not bad or good. But in a society that's fluid, where you can rise to the top and you can fall to the, you know, if you can rise to the top, if we believe in social mobility and the idea that people can rise, to the, rise higher, that also means people can fall lower. So in that kind of society, your status has a real impact on, you know, because if you fail, kind of says something maybe about you as well. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be negative about failure because you need to be able to go, you know, go on that journey. But I want to throw in here the importance of significance associated with status because status can be very egotistical, can be very kind of me, 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 my success is my success. But significance is about success that's, that's egotistical, but also altruistic. Oprah Winfrey is a super example of this. She is obviously wildly successful, but she's also given away more than $400 million. She's taking people with her. And it's this idea that, um, you know, let's take your work. You know, as as a GP, you know, being a GP is a wonderful way to have status in society because you've, you know, you've earned it by studying to get to that point. But it's also significant because you, because you mean something to a community and you're doing something for other people. So to bring this back to the park run, one of the things that you're doing is you're doing something for your son. I think one of the reasons why um, children are so good for our happiness is we give so much yeah. to them. But when you give to your children, you're sort of not giving it to other people because you're giving to someone that's, you know, or, or, you know yeah. who's very closely connected to you. But you're giving something to your son, which is running, and you're giving uh, him the joy of exercise and the well-being that comes with that. And that just gives you a sort of different sense about who you are as well. There's, a, there's yeah. loads of data that shows that, um, wonderful data that shows that if you've got um, spare £100, if you want to be happy, the best, there's two places to spend it on. One is experiences. And the other is on other people. That will make you happier than spending it on yourself. And there's this new data that's come out um, like within the last year or so from Cassie McGillner uh, in particular, um, UCLA, that shows that if you give your time to other people, you'll be happier too. So it's weird, you know, think about money, you can always get more money. But the idea that giving your finite resource, you know, the ultimate resource that you have, which is time, giving that to somebody else can actually bring you more happiness than doing something for yourself. So if you're taking your son, even though you're getting something good out of it for yourself, but you'll run obviously at a different pace. So you get slightly less kind of exercise benefit if you go with your son, but you'll get so much more because you're giving something to somebody else. Okay, so that's a a brilliant place to end the podcast. Um, So many so many thoughts going through my head, so many other themes we could have explored. Maybe we'll do that another uh, at another time. Always, if possible, like to leave the listener with three or four quick and simple tips that they might be able to apply in their own life immediately. I don't know if you have any at all that you could think of. People listening to this podcast, so they want to be happier. They want some tips on how to better spend their time. If you've got three or four things that they could think about doing. The simplest thing is to think about that idea of stories, because from stories, you can go to everything. You go to story, which is actually head for the holes, head for the problems, go on adventure. The T, which is, you know, change is good. Oh, outside and offline. 
turn your notifications off, put your phone on airplane mode more often. If you go to meet a friend in a pub, do you remember the old way where you'd like say you're going to meet somewhere? And you'd have to be there. And you'd pitch up around that time. You wouldn't text, I'll be there in five. And then you'd, you know that that friend of yours that phones you and says, where are you? And you're like, I'm in the pub, find me. (laughs) You know, turn your phone onto onto silent mode. Um, Relationships, spend more time with your friends and your family. Pick up the phone to that friend that you haven't seen for a while because maybe you had a fallout or maybe there was something that wasn't yeah. quite right and you haven't had the time for and make that effort to make a connection. I intensity, think of the dog funk checklist. Turn your phone off, go do something that's hard like climbing, like swimming, like whatever, something that gets you in the moment. Dance to music with your yeah. kids in the morning. Sing to um, what's that? The Greatest Showman, yeah. you know, or, or or to some, you know, some sort of ridiculous song from Frozen or something. The E for Extraordinary. Um, one of the magical things about um, Extraordinary is anticip- is about experiences is anticipation. It's free happiness. So make a plan today with somebody to do something in six months' time. Doesn't matter if you're necessarily going to stick to it, but arrange lunch. It's with that a anticipation that where the value Free is. happiness. You look. You look. You can look forward to that. That extraordinary that thing you're going to do. That is a brilliant tip. Actually, put those in the diaries. You've got something to look forward yeah. to. Book your holidays or book your holidays for next year now. So you Even know it's, it's just, exactly that way. You can look forward to, it. and it's free happiness. And the status and significance is think of an elderly neighbour or someone who's a bit lonely. And go do something for them. Have a cup of tea with them. Maybe take three cookies because and say, look, I've only got 15 minutes and have a cup of tea with them. Or maybe go and dig in their garden or do something yeah. for somebody else and it will give you free happiness. James, brilliant tips for people. Thank you for joining me today. Thank and I hope you. we get to continue this conversation at some Great. point in the future. Thank you very much. That concludes this week's episode of the Feel Better Live More podcast. I really hope that the conversation I had with James has given you a fresh perspective and some new ideas on how to plan and spend your free time. As always, do let James and I know what you thought of today's conversation. James is most active on Twitter at James Warman, and I'm active on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do wherever possible, please try and use the hashtag FBLM so that I can easily find your comments. If you want to continue your learning experience now that the podcast is over, do check out the show notes page, drchastity.com forward slash 64, where you can read more about James and his book, all of the things we talked about today in the podcast, and there are some links as well to related articles. Some of the themes that I spoke about with James today, for example, getting outside and offline, spending more time in nature, trying to access flow states as much as possible are topics that I've covered in great detail in my first two books. My first book, The Four Pillar Plan, has been a bestseller all over the world and is available to buy in all the usual places. It is a really practical book that serves as a blueprint of how to live well in the 21st century. Please note that if you are listening in the USA or Canada, the book is available for you with a different title, How to Make Disease Disappear. My latest book, The Stress Solution, is also available to purchase and deals with the most important health epidemic of our time, stress. All of my books are available to buy as paperbacks, ebooks, or as audiobooks, which I am narrating. If you enjoy my weekly shows, one of the best ways that you can support them is by leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. You can also help me spread the word by taking a screenshot right now 
and share them with your friends and family on your social media channels. Or you can simply tell your friends and family about the show. I really do appreciate your support. A big thank you to Richard Hughes for editing the podcast and to Ali Ferguson and Liam Saunders for the theme tune. That is it for today. I hope you have a fabulous week. Make sure that you have pressed subscribe and I'll be back in one week's time with my latest episode. Remember, you are the architects of your own health. Making lifestyle changes always worth it because when you feel better, you live more. I'll see you next time.